so what we're going to talk about today is um, our mental health, the mental health of our students, our staff, how it all is integrated into education. Yep. Um, Sounds let's awesome. go ahead and start first with um, who or what inspired you to be a teacher? That's a great question. Um, I actually never really, growing up, I was always the kid that like kind of just did what my parents told me. And, um, you know, things that now as an adult, I realize like maybe I didn't believe in or whatever. Um, and so honestly, going into teaching was kind of the same. Um, when applying for college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And my mom was like, well, you know, I've always wanted to be a teacher. And, you know, you've tutored people and you're pretty good at it. So you'll get summers off. And I was like, all right, whatever. Sure, mom. And um, that's how that like came to be. Um, and then it wasn't until either my sophomore or junior year in college, I um, had this job where I would mentor, like, I would mentor these kids in middle school who, um, you know, their families never went to college. They were in like a low socioeconomic uh, community. And um, I just made such close connections with those kids. And that's when I kind of had an epiphany, like, wow, I'm actually really good at doing this. And I can really make an impact on people. Um, and I'd always known that I wanted to do something that made a difference in the world. Um, I never knew what that was. Um, and then I saw like how deeply I got through to these kids and how, you know, just by being there for them and making connections with them, um, it motivated some of them to turn things around. Um, and then, you know, I just got super lucky and now, you know, it's totally my passion. So um, it was kind of by accident, um, which is super lucky, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And just so everybody knows, you are an amazing teacher. One of the people that I look up to and I'm like, okay, what is she doing over there? What do I need to do to get to my kids and reach them? And you're definitely doing great things. I'm really glad that you stumbled upon that. I appreciate that. That means a lot to me. Yeah. Um, so for me, uh, who and what inspired, they're sort of two separate stories. They're sort of um, the logical pathway of how I got there. And then there's sort of like the intuitive, like when I reflect upon it, like sort of what was going on at a deeper level, I think why I kind of was driven to teach. Mm -hmm. um, in high school, I was very much into like staying busy as a way of, I always said coping with my mental health, but I've later realized that it was a way of avoiding my mental health. I feel um, that. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that I did was I believed in basically being in every extracurricular activity possible, um, okay. regardless of my interests. I was that person in the counseling office being like, can I sign up for AP physics? And they're like, why? And so, <laughs> because everybody else is doing it, you know, like, I yeah. want to be like that person who's doing everything. Um, and so I started working with children kind of in that same mindset. I was doing National Honor Society, and they had an hours requirement. And my dad was a baseball coach for my little brother, who at the time was five. So he was like, oh, you can, you know, help me coach and get hours that way. So it kind of started more, I was like a, a means to an end for like the college resume, so to speak. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And as I started doing it, I just kept getting all of this feedback of like, oh, you're so patient with, this, with the children. You have the best tone of voice. You plan such great activities. And it was around the time that I was applying for college applications. And at the time, I had this really skewed logic that I would only be successful if I went to an Ivy League. And I had no idea what I wanted to do. I just wanted to get into like the best college with the best GPA. Really unhealthy mentality. Um, 
but basically I just kept getting all this feedback about how I was working with, with children and people just kept saying, you should, you should apply to be an educator, you know, look at schools that have education. And after enough feedback, I was like, oh, maybe I should. And, and finally like sort of to, you know, retweak sort of my thinking, especially with regard to teaching, because, you know, great teachers don't have to necessarily go to an Ivy League or anything like that. To be amazing, no. Right. Exactly. No. So it was, it was just a really interesting kind of how I like got there. Um, but then like when I think back on my experiences, um, I was actually diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder when I was nine years old. Oh, that's young. I had an amazing third grade teacher who recognized all the signs and symptoms and didn't necessarily ignore them or, you know, frown upon me for behaving in a certain way. She reached out to my, my parents, kind of expressed the concerns and directed them towards the right medical professionals. And basically, like, without that treatment, I would not be functioning in society right now. So wow, it's kind of like, intuitively, I think that it's my way of getting back, because I know that elementary was kind of like the root of, yeah. I guess, I don't know the word for this, but just basically like putting me on a path to be successful in general. So sure, sure. Yeah. That's crazy. I, I didn't know that story. Yeah. Um, I don't talk about it very often. And I was actually having a conversation with my family recently. Um, with this whole pandemic, my OCD has been pretty rampant lately. Yeah, I can um, imagine. And prior to this, I kind of had stopped identifying as having OCD. I definitely still identified with mental health. Yeah. But whenever people would ask me, like, oh, I have anxiety and panic disorders. And I kind of started distancing myself from that past because it, I just, it was very traumatic overall. Yeah. yeah. And then this happened and, you know, I've had a lot of really great conversations with my family and like my support system. And they've kind of had to like remind me that, yeah, you, you were diagnosed young, you, you learned how to cope really well, but this is unprecedented and it's a huge trigger and it didn't go away. It's still there. And kind of just having to accept that kind of um, up and down of the healing process. You know, you, sometimes you forget that it's, it's there. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's sort of how I got into teaching. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I, I didn't know that, but it makes sense. And it's so true. I think all of us, you know, that's, that's something that every person has in um, common is like, we all can think back and remember the teachers that like made that impact and the teachers that made that negative impact. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, all of, all of us people in common in the world, um, can like come together with that but then also as teachers that's something that definitely keeps me going when I'm feeling burnt out or like feeling frustrated with something is like remembering you know which teacher I want to be do I want to be the one that um is remembered for you know traumatizing a child or do yeah. I want to be remembered as like that teacher who changed my life and exactly yeah exactly it's a lot of pressure too but it's it's oh, very yeah. filling when it's done right it's, it's, it's a lot of pressure. And that's what I'm feeling, especially this year. You know, I found such early success in my teaching career. And I mean, from my first year, I kind of became that teacher on campus who the kids wanted and the families wanted. And um, it hasn't been until this year that I've started facing some challenges of still wanting to be the best, but um, facing, you know, challenges with certain parents or something like that um that makes me think like I'm I'm not doing a great job so I definitely it's definitely a lot of pressure it's rewarding but it's so much pressure yeah I've been feeling that a lot this year as well just being in a new district new staff 
my next kind of question, just kind of going into this, we talked about um, how we got into teaching. Now, my question for you is how has your mental health journey informed your teaching practices? Oh my God. I would say that my own circumstances and my own journey is probably top three, if not number one um, reason or thing that guides me. Um, You walk into my classroom and you know, like it's a safe place and you know, it's going to be a place where every child is going to have a good time. And, you know, after a few weeks, those kids know, like, it's all good in Miss Newton's class. So I think because I was, I was raised by such nurturing and compassionate parents, and I dealt with um, my own mental health issues from a very young age. um, I, I saw, I knew what teacher I needed when I was little. Mm -hmm. And I was someone who needed um, patience and understanding in the sense that like, I was always hard on myself. And things I was overly sensitive still am to this day. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd say, you know, my past helped guide me a ton. Um, Not to mention the fact that, like, I think a lot of social issues in today's society have also guided me. And Mm -hmm. so um, I just always want to make sure that my classroom is a place first and foremost, where kids feel safe, and where kids um, learn how to be them best sell their best selves. Um, whether that's with their mental own mental health, which, you know, I've, I've helped some kids so amazingly, um, which I never thought, you know, I would be able to do. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not yeah. a doctor. I'm nothing like that. But, um, I've had these certain kids that I take under my wing who I see myself in, um, struggling with anxiety or, or depression or being overly sensitive or whatever. And, um, you know, because of what I've gone through, I have some of the tools to help those kids get in front of it early on, which maybe yeah. wouldn't happen if, if they weren't in my classroom. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you mind sharing some of the like tools and strategies that you have used? I'm just like, I just know so many things already and they're just amazing and I always steal your ideas. So yeah, thank you. <laughs> I would give um, you to share them before I do. <laughs> well, so I mean, the, the main thing that I wouldn't even call a resource or a tool is I think just the nature of my classroom, you know, positivity and empowerment and inclusivity and um, growth mindset and all those things become like a routine for us. And it becomes the kids norm because that's just the environment of my class. Um, So I'd say number one is just, you know, for me, like I, like I said earlier, like I found the job that I'm good at and I'm passionate about and I can make connections with kids that many teachers can't. And so I think just that relationship and the environment of my class um, is the number one thing that really um, helps kids, you know, feel better about themselves and, and work on themselves and that sort of thing. Um, you know, I also have very high expectations for my kids. So you know, while I am going to be for that, there for them, and I'm always going to be that, like, I'm going to love hard on them, like, I also am going to hold them to high expectations. And if those expectations aren't being met, then like, we're going to have to work on that. So I think, I think, like, while establishing this, like, 
mutual respect is huge. Um, also, holding the kids to higher expectations than maybe they've been held to before um, shows them like, hey, look what I can do. And um, hopefully when they leave my classroom, they carry some of that. Um, and then I just do like some little things like um, I'm on our school's mental health or uh, social emotional learning team, um, which basically is social emotional learning is um, different an approach to learning that works on the social skills and the emotional skills for kids um, and should be for teachers to help increase the mental health in students. Um, I actually just finished my thesis on that. So we could talk about that more if you want, but um, uh, (laughs) through that process of being on the social emotional learning team for my school and while redoing research and writing my thesis, um, I came across or thought of um, my own resources and tools that I started implementing routinely Um, I do a morning check-in every single day with my kids on Google Forms, um, and they they just, they select how they're feeling for the day, and then they have to justify their selection, and that um, started doing really huge things for my class. Um, You know, there there was one of my students who was going through so much that I had no idea about, and um, he had a really hard time verbalizing those things, but through this daily check-in, I basically figured out and found out from him that his his world was flipped flipped upside down and he was you know struggling heavily 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 with anxiety and depression and um through that we were able to like reach out and and get some more resources from the community for that kid but so I think it's just I think first and foremost it's creating an environment um that is welcoming and safe and all about the student first and and making them be the best selves um but unfortunately I think having that quality as a teacher has to be organic and some teachers just don't have it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, The student first thing is something that I think is really big. I feel like as teachers and just in my experience with, I mean, I've encountered many great teachers, some like yourself who are really into social emotional learning and some that aren't. And I think that a lot of times it is organic and based on prior experiences because it's really hard I think to see education through that lens, unless you needed it as you were talking about in your life. Right. Right. Or, or if you have someone close to you where at least you can empathize, Mm -hmm. but I think, I think we have so many teachers and this is an issue with life in general, but we have so many teachers that maybe can't empathize um, with mental health and, and the struggle that it is, or maybe just maybe mental health aside, um, there are teachers out there maybe who can't empathize with, students who are going through really crappy situations at home and um, maybe just don't see the importance of it. Um, I think so many teachers just really stress about um, time and, and academic standards and, and test scores, which I get, I feel the same stress, but at the end of the day, like in 10 years, I'd rather my kids be okay than like know how to turn a fraction into a decimal. Like, to me that's not that there's no there's no comparison there yeah I feel like too it it kind of stems from a lack of um education on the topic of absolutely I feel like something that I've been really recognizing right now and you know we've had staff meetings on this is how stressed people don't learn it's sort of the same thing with any sort of mental health you're suffering from anxiety depression bipolar you know any any sort of mental health disorder if you're in that state at that moment, you're not going to be learning. And I feel like that needs to be something that 
is actually assigned as a class for educators prior to entering in needs to be a mission that is being you know followed through with by administrators and getting all the teachers on the same page because if there is that stigma that exists that it, it's it's irrelevant to the learning process mm -hmm. we're not going to necessarily make progress in that respect because right. i feel like you can't right. reach kids if they're if they're in the state or they're worried about what's going on at home they're just you've got to right. reach them first and then i mean i i think it's pretty widely agreed upon that mental negative mental health does affect student learning yeah. um that that was one of the things that i really researched in my thesis and um um i just lost my train of thought whatever anyway um when i i had to conduct my own survey which you took um yeah. but in that survey uh, amongst administrators teachers and parents um 100 percent of the people who responded to my survey agreed that having negative mental health um will affect student learning so i feel That's like good. yeah it's totally good but it's like with so many things in our country that you know need change many people recognize things but aren't ready to do something about it yeah and so i think people like you and me which it also may be generational like to us that is such an important thing also because we've been through um mental health struggles yeah. but you know every person on our campus would say like oh yeah it's it's related and kids are going to struggle if they're suffering from mental health but but some people aren't really willing to put in the work or make that prior make that a priority to focus on social emotional learning and mental health um and maybe having to sac sacrifice some time for standards and stuff yeah and I think there are a lot of things, too, that need to change within the structure of an educator's day to make that more possible. I mean, socio-emotional lessons, although they can come organically, do take planning. And I feel like you and I, we spend a lot of our, our free time, you know, putting a lot of these resources together. Um, and, yeah, I just feel like it would be beneficial if it were more ingrained into the structure of our day. 100%. It should be routine every single day. And that's the issue is we can we can adopt some curriculum or so some program but if teachers don't know how to implement it naturally into every part of our day and consistently along across the entire school then it's kind of going to be pointless anyway so there's yeah. a lot that has to go into making it carried out implement making the implementation carried out effectively i also think too there's this other layer of i think people are starting to get on the right track of focusing on you know student mental health but yeah. i feel like people have not really taken into account teacher mental health and the importance of a healthy teacher yeah making healthy students and i'm speaking from experience because of what i've kind of already hinted out earlier i have really fueled that stay busy culture that we have up until about a year ago when i got my brain injury and my life was just completely changed and i had to literally redefine my identity because I, I was in such an unhealthy place after the fact. Yeah, um, I can't imagine. I got to a point where teaching felt unsustainable for me. Oh, I, I still like, feel that. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, I still feel it too. I mean, I'm not completely out of that. I mean, I feel like I think about quitting all the time, not because I don't love working with the children, right? just because of the toll it's taking on me physically. 100%. 100%. I feel you. Yeah. And yeah, I just like, I mean, we've had meetings in, in staff meetings where I feel, I feel like you and I are always like resonating at the same frequency. And I'm always like, snap, snap, you know what I mean? But like, 
Oh, totally. Who totally. was doing the same thing as us, but no, it's yeah. just coming in as like the, the youngins, so to speak, you know, we're like the two youngest on campus. And it's just looking at how everything is at this time. You and I both said it, it's like, this can't continue. You're going to, you're going to lose the whole incoming generation of teachers. Yeah. No, if, I mean, we already are. We yeah. already are. And, and speaking, like, speaking as someone who has had so much success so far, like I've been so lucky to just have fallen into what I'm good at and to have such amazing responses from the families that I deal with mostly um, up until this year, really. But, yeah, you know, even as someone who has gotten so much praise for what I've done thus far, like, I have thought about quitting a lot because I'm exhausted. I'm emotionally exhausted all the time. And as somebody like yourself, who already struggles with mental health. Um, I mean, it, it's not, it's really hard to stay healthy. Um, and, and I think, you know, this year has been especially difficult for me, um, also being a full-time grad student. So I definitely, I, de I hear you. And, you know, the only option is that something has to change. Either, yeah. you know, either the, the pay has to change, um, but even still at the end of the day, like getting more money is not gonna fix me inside. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. It's it's really tough and and it's frightening. Um, and yeah, the teaching profession's already being screwed out of young teachers. And and really, we need more young teachers because, you know, things are changing. And and yeah, it's it's rough. It's really rough. Can I uh, ask a follow up question on that? And you don't have to answer if you don't want to. But do you feel like some of the, for lack of better words, disrespect that you've received this year and in, in relation to other years is because you have another priority being your master's program and people aren't accepting that you have to like share your time or do you think it's just would have happened regardless no I think it's I think uh sometimes there are just certain personalities um and I think that's what's happening I don't I you know my master's has taken away a little bit from my productivity and I'd say a little bit out of my passion that I put toward the kids but those aren't the issues that I've had with um, parents. Um, it's been things that, you know, already were my weaknesses or people who are just kind of um, being irrational. So I actually don't feel like grad school has taken, ha has caused the issues with parents. Um, I think it's just another step in my career that um, I've been lucky not to have to deal with it yet. And, and now yeah. was my time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the ma your whole master's is going to be something that pays off for children in the long run oh, for sure. like what you're doing well, is incredible thank you and and that's my hope you know I don't want to be a principal I don't want to be an administrator I, I want to be a policy change be a policy maker and you know I think this is just a step along the way to get there um and and this is this is what I want to do is is to make change in education regarding mental health and social emotional learning so um, you know, we need it. And, and it doesn't seem like it's many people's priority right now who are actually making the rules. Yeah. Do you feel, um, again, it's kind of a complex question, but do you feel like, how do I phrase this where it, make, where it comes off clearly? Do you feel like we can fight the good fight from within? Or do you think it's going to end up pulling us out of the classroom in order to make change? Because sometimes I feel like, like that, that almost like that pressure to stay in the classroom, because I'm like, there's so few of us, there's so few of us pushing right. these, you know, strategies and these, these, you know, ideas regarding mental health. But then other times I'm like, 
I'm one of 30 on this campus and there's, you know, 10, 15 other campuses in this city, you know, then you just right. keep going into the county, the state, and then you just kind of wonder, you know, is, is it enough being within or do you feel like you have to be like completely outside of it all to really push the change? Um, I think the answer is both. Um, there's something that I learned in one of my classes called uh, forming a, a guiding coalition. And what that is essentially is when you want to make change, you and you're a leader, um, whatever change you want to make, you have to kind of gather a few people who you know have your back and or who believe the same thing and, and you start working together. And then um, once you make a plan together, you go out a little bit further in the circle and you bring in some more people to start making mm -hmm. that change and to get the same ideas. And then eventually you get out to all the teachers, all of the, uh, the, the families and the stakeholders in the school. And, and that's how you make that change. Um, I think doing what we do, want to do um, is great for our individual students. That's amazing and, and should be nothing but praised. Um, but what I found is like, when I have worked so hard with kids on their social emotional learning and their mental health and being better humans, um, a lot of times what I've seen is when they go off to the next grade, a lot of that goes out the window. And maybe they still have some of those things in the back of their head, but like it's so heartbreaking to me year after year to watch these kids blossom in my class or I really have breakthroughs with some of them that really struggle and then they go off in their future and, and because they don't have that same environment, um, it's kind of left behind. And what my, you know, I'm still early on. So what my hope is that down the line, um, it will make a long lasting difference. Um, yeah. and, and maybe, you know, in five years from now, a struggling kid will think back like, Oh, remember that lesson on integrity Miss Newton taught me and, and that will help make a difference. But so I guess my, my point in saying that is, is that while doing that in our individual classrooms is amazing, um, in order to make long-lasting, impactful change, it has to be across the board. It has to be cohesive and, and yes. consistent. And I don't think that one individual teacher in their classroom can do that. I think, I think we have to have that little guiding coalition who wants, with a leader involved, who wants to make that change. And, and luckily, our, our leader is someone who is super into that. Um, but, you know, it's, it's hard when we have a million and one things to do to, to now try to make this change about something we're so passionate about while trying to balance all those other things. So, I mean, and that's, and that's what, and like why I decided to go and get my admin credential and my master's in, in leadership is because I know in order to make that change a reality, um, I'm going to have to take my passion to the next level and, and to the next level and the next, until hopefully I'm able to make that change myself you know, for the state or nation or whatever, you know, yeah. hopefully happens. Yeah, I definitely feel the same thing with regard to like, sending the students off to the next teacher and not necessarily being certain that it's going to stick. Um, I actually had a really hard time when I first went from my previous school district to our school district with that idea because I, in my mind every year, I always had this sort of like where I talk myself down where I'm like, well, you're still on the campus, you can still yeah. be in that student's life. You know, you can, you can subtly remind them, you know, you can support them, whether it's in, you know, them being in your physical classroom. And when I changed schools, I really had sort of 
this internal struggle and guilt of being like, I told them I would be there and I'm not there. Like I'm not physically there. And I mean, there are ways you can keep in touch with your students, but not in the same way that you would when you're actually a part of that district or teaching in that district, you know, there's there's a lot of. um, No, I, I feel that too. In my first school district, I felt that the first time I switched schools. And then when I left to come back to see me, like that was a devastating blow to a lot of students and their families and myself. And, and that's definitely, that's definitely hard. Um, but luckily we have things like social media um, that have allowed me to at least keep in touch with some of these families. Mm-hmm. Um, the ones that I know could benefit from keeping a relationship with me or, or whatever. Um, and I actually, I have like a, a teacher Instagram that I let the kids follow. If kids have Instagram um, and they want to follow me on there, fine. Um, so I actually keep in touch with quite a few of my students from up in San Luis Obispo because Um, you know, I told them, you know, I'm going to be following you. So know what you're posting. But, but I'm always here for you if you need me. So that's awesome. Yeah. So I saw a question pop up earlier from my friend Alex. He's also a teacher. He said, um, sorry, I'm trying to go back and read it. He's I think if I'm reading this right, he's asking if if he thinks it's a lack of interest in the job? Or do you think it's burnout that causes some of these feelings? And, And I definitely think it's burnout. I I think that we are definitely fighting sort of this uh, societal trend right now of keeping busy. And I think that it's actually a big topic of discussion right now with the pandemic because everybody's life just abruptly stopped. And I think a lot of people are having spikes in their mental health because their self-worth was based on their productivity. And they're realizing that they can't be as productive as, as they were before. And that productivity looks different. Like for me specifically, just kind of going into like what kind of brought us this conversation right now, I started this mental health project to make a positive, but it also is still showing that I have a certain habit. I, you know, for the first couple weeks of, you know, self-isolation, I was just, you know, reading books, might keep my to myself um, and trying to slow down. But at a certain point, I could definitely feel like my mental health deteriorating. And I had this moment of, I need to do something that is fulfilling to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And my habit has always been partially with productivity. This mental health project is taking up a lot of my time with planning, which I'm loving it. But the reality of it is it's keeping me busy, which is something that I'm used to. Um, But I'm hoping that it's a better productivity approach than those in the past because it can actually make a difference in somebody's, you know, life during this time. So it's definitely finding that balance. But I mean, my family, I'm lucky I have a great support system, but they've been monitoring me. And there have been times when my OCD really takes over and I go from having um, fixations on the pandemic to fixating on this project and making sure that everything is intricate and perfect. And and that really isn't the goal. I don't want to come off like I'm being perfect because that right. completely defeats the purpose of what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to be authentic. So my family has kind of been like, you're having a moment here. Step away from the project. Go back when you're, you know, not so concerned with all of the ins and outs of the logistics and can just, you know, be yourself and share your story. And right. Well, I think, stories. I think that you have a self-awareness that many people don't. So I think that's something definitely pat yourself on the back for because like I struggle with the same stuff like you know I this past week has been really really freaking hard for me um and to answer your friend's question um I think it depends on the person and I think it depends on the amount of time that somebody's been teaching um 
I feel like a lot of times burnout turns into losing interest. Um, so I feel like, especially with like the older teachers who like just aren't willing to make the changes necessary to stay on board and, and be effective teachers who make an impact with their kids. I feel like for them, it's probably like this subconscious burnout that's been happening over the years that eventually turns into like a lack of, or not lack of, but a very diminished um, care mm -hmm. about doing an, an amazing job or putting the students first. Um, I think for us young ones, it's definitely burnout. Like I love my kids to death. I want to make a difference forever, but I am freaking burned out. And like, especially with this with with distance teaching right now like I am f struggling right now because I'm you know I'm receiving emails upon emails a month emails a day from parents like I feel like it's not meaningful like and I don't know what to do to change it unless I'm I'm work 24 7 on recreating the wheel which I've, we've already done to make this even possible yeah. so I definitely think to answer your friend's question that it's heavily burnout and for those who aren't interested, I don't feel like that happens at the elementary level um, because if you're an elementary teacher, like you're there to help little kids, like nobody does that for the pay or, or for time off or, you know, you're there because you want to be there. And I think that either you just don't have in your nature what's necessary to be effective or you just burned out over time and maybe that, that interest isn't there um, anymore. Yeah, I think with just kind of going off of this whole distance learning process right now, I feel like it is nothing like teaching at all. Like there, there are days where it's like I get to see my students face through Zoom, but the fact that I'm having to see my students face through Zoom is just so bizarre. And I feel yeah. like it's messing with everybody, including my students. My students don't oh, yeah. be there. Like they miss me, Same. But it's like almost like blaringly in their face why we're in this situation every time we get on Zoom. And I feel like yeah. it's almost unhealthy for them because it's like if we don't do Zoom, they have a little bit of time to just be in their own bubble and like forget yeah. everything that's going on. Right. No, I think I think all of this is unhealthy for our if it's it's unhealthy for everybody. Mm -hmm. But especially this week and last week, I've just seen the majority of my students hitting a wall. Like they are struggling. And I'm not alone because I was feeling the same way and I was like is it just me because I feel no. like I, I've been doing a lot more than some not not you know because I'm trying to be competitive but just because I have more time technically because yeah. I live by myself with no children or anything like that but yeah I've been feeling the same way it's like they tell me they want to do more zoom sessions I want to do more activities but then the look on their face I'm like are you with me yeah hey guys hello no <laughs> I've I've kind of I've been really battling this week with making a decision to kind of give them a week off, like not a week off. I just, next week, I really kind of want to just assign only fun things and like art and yeah, scavenger hunts and because they're struggling and, yeah. and I know I'm struggling. And if, if I'm struggling this much, like I can't even imagine trying to be a kid um, learning and going on video. And I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's, it's hard to watch some kids who normally thrive in the classroom um, just really struggle right now. Yeah. Do you mind if I ask you um, a question, particularly about your mental health? Sure. Um, I'm pretty open. What sort of signs and symptoms do you notice in yourself when you're 
sort of noticing a decline in your mental health? Like, is, is, do you have like that self-awareness where you feel like you recognize the signs and symptoms or do you feel like it's sort of like a zero to 60 for you and you're like, oh gosh, I need to like retrospect and reflect and figure out how I got here? Um, I think a little bit of both. Um, this past week, I've just been having a lot more irritability than normal. Um, and so at first I didn't really understand why. Um, and then, you know, eventually I was able to figure out some things. Um, it depends, like, it depends what is the trigger. Like right now I would say I'm pretty able to recognize things. Um, but in real life, when things are normal, um, sometimes things are very zero to 60 for me. So, um, depending on medication, like sometimes I'll forget to take my medicine or, or, um, you know, I'm someone who holds in a lot of what I'm feeling, especially when, especially fe feelings of anger and frustration. And cause I've, you know, I've never been someone who raises my voice or blows up or anything like that. So, you know, uh, that's how you normally in life, we see po people express their anger by yelling at people or cussing or whatever. And I've never been that person to blow up that way. But because that's how I have always viewed someone who's angry, I don't know how to express my anger or frustration. And so a lot of times I just shut down and keep it all inside. And then it'll be a zero to 60 moment where something finally just sets me off the edge and I have some sort of like, you know, panic attack or um, breakdown, like crying or whatever. So yeah. it depends on the situation. I think in regular life, um, it's a lot more zero to 60. I think right now, um, and with a, the therapist I've been with for the past three months or so, um, I've been able to definitely have a lot more self-awareness in the moment. Yeah. I feel like mine is a little bit of both as well. I feel like I do have a lot of uh, signs prior to a panic attack or sort of that buildup and whether or not I recognize it soon enough kind of depends on the context that I'm currently living in. Yeah. Um, but this year in particular, I've noticed that like my two sort of like first indicators, I would say are fatigue and irritability. Um, I like before school closures, I was actually feeling it really bad. Like the fatigue was kind of another level and I was like seeking kind of like like medical help. I was like, um, is this something else that I don't know about? Cause yeah. it would just be like, I couldn't even stand for a full day teaching. Like I had to sit down at certain points. Um, irritability was a big one. I would notice sort of like almost a pattern at a certain point every single day, I would be more irritable than others with the students. So yeah. I kind of had to tweak my schedule with my students to ensure that I had a way to decompress Mm -hmm. within the teaching environment and make sure that I wasn't, you know, letting any of that sort of slip into their environment because it obviously should be safe and right, right. Um, and things like that. I've noticed like my sleep is a big one. Um, I'll go from either too much sleep or too little sleep. I think if I'm really high anxiety, it's on the little sleep side. If I'm kind of teetering more towards depressive, I'll be on like the too much sleep. Um, so that's kind of what I've noticed. Um, but yeah, there's, a, there's other symptoms too that I feel like as it starts to intensify, I'll start to notice. Um, like for me, it's like forgetfulness. I'm someone who's like super organized and like very punctual. And I mm -hmm. think when I'm starting to get really, really into a mental health like funk, I'll start to get very forgetful. Um, I'll start to focus my attention on things that are more, um, I guess, 
trivial and mundane, like a really ex kind of interesting example that I picked up like with my own, like kind of being awareness of self. I was like, oh, you need to stop yourself. Like I had a day when I was in class and I just got really fixated on the way that my desk was, was currently like organized. Oh, and I started like organizing my paper clips by like large and small paper clips and like by color and just like a lot of things that would have no impact on the learning environment. But, but my mind like fixated on like, this has to be just right in order for like the rest of the day to go just right, which is a big symptom for people who don't know of obsessive compulsive disorder. That's kind of a compulsion that will yeah. happen if you're sort of having unwanted anxious thoughts that are flooding pretty rapidly. Um, yeah, I feel like those are kind of when those start to happen, that's kind of when I'm building up, I think, towards a panic attack, because it's like I'm starting to try to control and perfect the world around me. And the moment that something isn't the way it's supposed to be is kind of when I'm going to lose it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you get it. You get it. Um, so, yeah, I feel like the like the fatigue, the irritability, the sleep is all kind of like the stuff that happens way in advance. But like as it starts to intensify, it's more like the forgetfulness, lack of confidence in myself, like fixation on things that don't necessarily matter. Um and yeah, and that's kind of when something is definitely like lurking on the surface that I need to, to deal with, or it's going to become um, a panic attack in public or, or something of that nature. We kind of touched on this earlier, but I kind of wanted to go a little bit more specific into this for maybe teachers who have the same passions that we do, but don't necessarily know how to go about implementing it in their classroom. Um, can you share specific, um, whether it's activities, tools, resources, that you use in your classroom that are intended to help your students' mental health, that that's why you've integrated them into the, the dynamic of your classroom? Yeah, see, I struggle with this question because, and I struggle in the sense, like I struggle on the social emotional learning team at, at our school too, because, you know, a lot of teachers want resources for things. Mm -hmm. And for like, you know, I mentioned earlier, it kind of is, has to be organic and so honestly I feel like the best learning and growing that my students do um, with becoming better people or helping their mental health is like kind of these in the moment lessons that um, I come across so you know I make it a priority just to take the time to talk to my whole student my whole class as a group about things you know if if someone in our class does something that's like bad or um, is hurtful or whatever, more than likely I turn it into an entire class conversation. Of course, I keep people's, you know, names safe and, and identities safe in those situations. I never put anyone on the spot. Um, but, you know, just I really try to make it a point to tap into the empathy of each kid so that they can recognize you know, how this makes people feel when they make certain choices. So I think, you know, we have discussions probably daily as a whole class about something um, and how it affects others. Um, starting on day one um, of the school year, I use the word integrity. I teach my students what it means. Um, I refer to it like throughout the entire day, point out moments of um, when kids are showing integrity, talk about things um, that maybe a kid forgot to show their integrity, even something like standing in line. Um, I use the word integrity, like, you know, let's see if everyone can show integrity or show me integrity right now as you're meeting my expectations in line. Um, 
every morning I started this this year, which I absolutely have come to love and I probably will do for the rest of my career. Um, every single morning we start our day off with morning work. And then after we correct our morning work, um, each of my students has a gratitude journal. So we all come up on the floor together. Um, mind you, I teach fourth graders, so you don't have to do this like coming to the floor just with little kids. I, I will do it next year when I teach sixth grade as well. Um, I have everyone come together with their gratitude journals. And, and, you know, in the first few times we do it, I teach them what gratitude is and, and what it means to feel it. And, you know, we talk about the fact that you can feel grateful for really important things in life, like family or having a roof over your head. Or you might just feel grateful that day for chocolate. Like yeah. the fact that chocolate is so damn good, you might feel grateful for that. So we set a timer for two minutes and I do it with them. And we just write down in our gratitude journal um, a, a list of everything we're feeling grateful for that day. And then after those two minutes, um, I have each kid pick one thing they want to share. Um, and we just do like a wrap around the room and, and everybody tells the one thing they want to show their gratitude for that day. And um, it just becomes became such a huge part of our routine and every day. And I would hear kids using the word gratitude or grateful um, mm -hmm. throughout other parts in the day. So I think that was a huge part for us. Um, like I said, I do my daily check-ins on Google Forms, mm -hmm. um, which I've shared with many teachers and I'd be willing to share with whomever. Um, it, it just gauges where the kids are emotionally. Yeah. That morning for the day when they come in, um, they have to tell me um, why they're feeling the way they're feeling, which I think is a great way of getting kids to be able to, one, have self-awareness, but also, two, recognize, uh, be able to explain the things they're feeling. I think so many times we teach emotions to kids, and they're just kind of like, oh, I'm sad. And it's like, well, why? And they're like, well, I just, I'm just sad. And I think it's so important for us to you know, normalize talking about our feelings, whether they be positive or negative. And I think it's also important to let kids know, like, you're going to have negative emotions, you're going to get mad, you're going to get frustrated, you're going to get sad. Don't try to push that away, like embrace it and understand why you're feeling it. Um, and, and let's work with it. The last thing I just want to say is that this year, I've also um, come to, thanks to my girlfriend, she introduced Brene Brown to me. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know, Brene Brown is a researcher who researches emotions. And um, she, so I've watched a few, I've watched a bunch of her videos. Um, she has TED Talks where she talks about vulnerability and shame and how it is, how important it is to embrace vulnerability and be vulnerable. So um, that has actually impacted my teaching a ton as well. Um, so if you have not heard of Brene Brown, go look up her tech, TED Talk on vulnerability now. Um, if you want book recommendations, ask me. She's freaking life-changing. That's awesome. Mic Thank drop. You. <laughs> if I can leave everybody on one thing, I think what we both agree on is just providing opportunities for your students to talk about how they're feeling and to validate that not everybody feels happy all the time. Yes. I think a lot of people have a default feeling, and myself included, where I have to work really hard every day to find the gratitude and to feel those positive emotions. And I feel like I wake up starting with more like shadow emotions. Um, so I just think it's really important to provide those opportunities for students to talk about it, um, activities where it allows them to be introspective and to think about, you know, what makes me feel good? What, what could I, you know, make habitual in my life to continue, whether it be meditation or journal writing, playing guitar, going to skateboard. I think there's just a lot of things that can help. They just need to learn how to access it.
and have somebody who's willing to listen.